From the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana, this is the Pendulum Land Podcast. Welcome, infrastructure junkies, to our show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Pendulum Land Podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry. We're your primary source of news, trends, and developments in the eminent domain right-of-way acquisition and in the Uniform Relocation Act. I'm Dave Arnold. With me is Kristen Bennett, and we are live without a net. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, you look kind of nervous. Today, for the first time ever, the Pendulum Land Podcast is recording in front of a live studio audience. We're down in the Big Easy for the... Yes, sir. We are down in the Big Easy for the 2021 Transportation Symposium and the International Right-of-Way Association's Region 2 and 6 Joint Forums. We'll be discussing planes, trains, and automobiles, the secret ingredients of American happiness. But before we get to it, Let's have a word from our generous sponsors, which made this episode possible. Before we get into the show, I want to say thanks to our sponsor, Pendulum Land Services, LLC, which makes this podcast possible. Did you know that Pendulum Land Services is a small, women-owned business? And did you also know that PLS has licensed attorneys on staff? Now, they get asked the same question all the time. Why would I pay expensive attorney rates for right-of-way work? And the answer is, at Pendulum, you don't. That's the beauty of PLS. Their clients pay right-of-way agents to manage their projects who just happen to have also litigated hundreds and hundreds of eminent domain cases. Pendulum is also happy to serve as a single-tier subcontractor on a project, for example, to simply handle relocations or just the complex relocations. So if you have a project that requires a skilled approach, on complex relocations or any relocations, and you need to have the confidence that it'll be handled correctly, then check them out at PendulumLand.com. That's PendulumLand.com. Now, Kristen, we have a full house this afternoon, and there are no second takes, no take twos, and no room for error. I think you're nervous. I, well, maybe just a little bit. Okay. All right. By a show of hands, dear live audience, how many of you have never listened to an episode of the Pendulum Land podcast? (laughs) For those of you listening on the recording, there are four, maybe 500 people here, and not a single hand went up in the house. (laughs) Why why are are you laughing? Accurate, accurate. Okay. As part of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, we have with us Wade Brown, Chair of Region 6. Say hello, Wade. Hello. Oh, that was enthusiastic. I got to say, though, Dave, you're, you're the only guy that can make right away sound cool. So I will give you that. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see what you say at the end of this show. And we also have Aaron Newberry, Vice Chair of Region 2. So say hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Oh, she's a smart ass. And can everybody in the audience say hello to Wade and Aaron? Right on. So today we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, We have a Region 6 representative and a Region 2 representative, so we're going to have a little battle. And throughout the podcast today, we will have some trivia questions. Uh, There will be some little bits here and there, and there will be points to be earned. And if you win the most points, 
Aaron, Wade, you will win our grand prize, which is located right here. See, remember the game shows of the early 1980s when the contestants played for the grand prize of a new station wagon? And it had like fake wood paneling on the doors. You remember that? Yeah, like Price is Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. the grand prize they're battling for is even better. Tell them what these contestants will win. Can, can I get a drum roll? Oh. We have a real, check this out, we got a drum roll. Holy. Okay, ready? Our drum roll's really long. Well, this is a really big prize. True. Ta-da! This is a full-size can of Spam. And it's not even Spam Light. This is the original. So. Yes, sir. And you can be the proud winner of a can of Spam. Not even low sodium. Not even low sodium. Yeah, so do your best. Uh, there's a lot on the line here. All right. All right, so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get into this. And we're going to start with the American automobile transportation infrastructure in the United States. No, no, no. Dave, this is called planes, trains, and automobiles. Shouldn't we start with planes? Generally, we start with whatever I want to. And so I'm prepared to talk about transportation infrastructure for automobiles. Okay, we'll do that. All right, so let's talk about, let's talk about automobiles. Before we can talk about transportation and highways... I think we got to talk, why are they needed? we got to talk about automobiles. So i got some fun facts for you. I mean, I think they're fun. Uh, the first automobile suitable for the existing wagon roads was actually invented in 1871, not in Detroit and Wisconsin. And the first automobile race was in 1878, a full 100 years before I was even born, also took place in Wisconsin. And automobiles actually were not even commonplace until a little thing you might have heard of called the Model T, invented by, invented by Henry Ford. That was invented in 1908, and it was actually the first automobile to be mass-produced with a moving assembly line, and it kind of revolutionized everything. So the thing to consider here is that automobiles had been around for 27 years before they really got popular. That's, that's a huge amount of time back then. That's exactly right. And so we're talking about automobiles for wagon roads. Wagon roads. We're not talking highways. We're talking wagon roads. The Model T made the automobile more readily available, more affordable, and it was significantly more reliable. It was actually marketed to the middle class. And it was the first mass-produced automobile in the history of America. With a, t and a, a total of 15 million units were produced. And to this day, it remains top 10 vehicle sales ever. And consider this, back in the early 1900s, the population of the United States was about 76 million people. Consider that. Now it's over 300 million. So consider that they sold 15 million units to a population of 76 million. That was revolutionary back in the day. Huge percentage of people had a Model T back then. Here's something else interesting. So the Model T was not called the Model T because he liked the letter T. It's because there had already been a Model A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So he's on like the what? Is that like the 21st? version of this car that he's been tinkering with? Yeah, Mr. Ford had really, really innovative car names. <laughs> Obviously. So, Model T was, had been tinkered with. That was his, that was his moment. And he, that was the thing he named it. He didn't name it a Tesla, he called it a Model T. So, by 1918, half of all of the cars in the United States were Model Ts. And uh, there's a story that customers were offered a color choice, and they could have their car um, in any color that they wanted, so long as it's black. That's what Henry Ford would say. Very innovative colors back in the early 1900s Innovative as well. names, innovative colors. 
So when the Model T was first introduced, there were almost no paved roads. And in fact, the Model T was designed to be an all-terrain vehicle. I think we can consider the Model T maybe the first SUV. And consider this, so many cars, so few roads. Roads, where we're going, we don't need any roads. Uh, yeah, we do. That's the point of this entire presentation. Oh, well, that's a Back to the Future quote. So. Okay, so let's talk about, now we've got the background, let's talk about American superhighways and interstates. We, we realized we had a bunch of cars, and now we need some roads to put them on to make them more efficient. Now, I want to let you know that a lot, of this, a lot of the material from this presentation was drawn from a fantastic article called The Best Investment a Nation Ever Made by Wendell Cox and Gene Love. And that article's maybe 30, close to 30 years old, but it's very, very good and uh, something that's worth checking out. Or you can just get the thumbnail here. So in the early 1900s, States generally created their own highway systems which linked one poorly maintained road to another poorly maintained road. And it wasn't until the 1910s that states began to create their own interstate systems. Hey, I think this is a good time to just jump in with a trivia question. What do you think? I think it is, but we need a scorekeeper. We need a scorekeeper. Who do you think? Well, nobody seems to be paying attention, so I don't see, uh, let's see. Uh, who's willing to keep score for us? Thank you, Laura Gunter. Oh, Matt Harris, you want to keep score? Matt Harris, you are it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Matt. So wait write down Aaron's name and Wade's uh -oh, name. Uh oh, wait. Aaron has wait something to say. I don't know. He's, he's Region 6. Oh, he is Region 6. Yeah. Maybe we need a Region 2. Laura, you're Region 2. Matt, you're Region 6. And we'll make sure the scores align because I'm not sure that I trust the uh, Region 6 rep. I'm, I'm with you, Aaron. I'm with you. I'm a Region oh, 2 boy. girl. Oh, boy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let's let's just do this. Go ahead, Kristen. Okay, let's go on with the trivia. So, our first trivia question is for Aaron Newberry. Aaron, mm. yes. There are no wrong answers. Just kidding. There's a lot of wrong answers. <laughs> Here's your trivia question: The Dixie Highway of 1915 ran from Michigan near the Canadian border to what city? This is multiple choice: A. Chicago, B. New York, or C. Miami. For one point, what say you? I'm sorry, it's actually Miami. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, Laura, no need to write down a point for Aaron because she did not earn a point. Okay, Wade. That was just horrible. Wade, this is your chance. talking already. This is your chance to get that spam one step closer to your belly, buddy. Now, trivia question two. The nation's first transcontinental highway which stretched from Times Square to San Francisco was called, multiple choice, A, the Washington Highway, B, the Lincoln Highway, C, the Ronald Reagan Memorial Highway. B, the Lincoln Highway. <laughs> yes, sir. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. All right. Looks like Region 6 is in the lead. Should I scoot the spam closer over there? <laughs> No, I got to pick it up for my region. Okay, the, still Lincoln, time. the Lincoln Highway was a critical influence to the future of the American interstate system. In 1919, then Lieutenant Colonel Dwight Eisenhower, notice I didn't say general, and it's 1919, not 1945, he took a cross-country tour on that highway, and that was one of two very important events, events in his life which uh, uh, really shaped the future of the interstate system. The second was, at the conclusion of World War II, when he was the Supreme Allied Commander, 
General Eisenhower spent a lot of time traveling the German Autobahn, which was already in existence. And those two experiences made him realize the importance of limited access, high-speed corridors. But interestingly, it wasn't until 1944, many, many years later, that President Franklin Roosevelt signed the Federal Aid Highway Act. That created a plan to build a 40,000-mile national interstate system of highways. But we had a little problem. And that little problem was this thing called World War II, which we'd been battling for hmm, three or four years at the time. Okay, And so we didn't have any money, and we didn't have any people to build the roads, so it was put on ice for more than 10 years. And then almost right after the conclusion of World War II in 1945, we got into a little something called the Cold War. Um, and it seems like the country just spent uh, an exorbitant amount of time just waiting for this big mushroom cloud and waiting for what was what seemed inevitable at the time, right? Yeah, it, it, I, I came of age in the 1980s, and I think Wade Brown did too, and I was convinced that I was going to be sent off to war, or we were all going to be annihilated uh, by a bright flash in the sky. And I, I've told my daughter about what it was like to live through the Cold War, and she just looked at me like I was crazy and says, what does this have to do with TikTok, and why are you bringing this up? <laughs> right, so, so we're on the brink of this disastrous war, and everybody's kind of preparing for that as if that's the next step, right? But, but even in the 1950s, we were in the Cold War, and we had great concern about how citizens, excuse me, how cities would be able to quickly route citizens away from potential targets. And I grew up in the shadow of a potential target in Norfolk, Virginia, where the largest naval installation in the world was. And so there were two things going on here. Number one, we needed to be able to move citizens away from targets, New York City, Norfolk, uh, Chicago, etc. But number two, we had to be able to mobilize troops and supplies and weapons if that day ever came to pass. And that made the need for a limited access, high-speed highway even more acute. As a result of that, the Congress passed the National System of Interstate Defense Highway Act that upgraded the prior highway acts, and more importantly, allocated $26 billion of federal money to finish the 40,000 long mile project, which we hadn't really started. And it was signed into law on June 29, 1956. Well, and that act authorized 40,000 miles of high quality highways, which were designed to link the nation together. And it was supposed to be completed by 1975 and would be funded primarily by user fees and gas taxes. Access to all of the interstates were to be fully controlled. And what that means is the limited access highway was essentially born. There were no intersections, no traffic signals, and all traffic and railroad crossings would be separated at grade, which required construction of 55,000 bridges, which is more of the infrastructure that we here are talking about. Way to go us. Yeah. The interstates were, be, were to be divided and were to be, uh, they were to have two lanes in either direction. And although this, this system was not completed by 1975 as intended, by 1960 there were more than 10,000 miles open. By 1965, 20,000 miles were open. By 1970, 30,000 miles. And by 1980, 40,000 miles were open. And the interstate highway system is believed to be the largest public works program in the history of the United States. And just think, our industry is responsible for that program. Go us, right? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Hey, all right. Let's do another trivia question. All right. Are our scorekeepers ready? Okay. Yes, I'm getting nods. I think we're ready to go. Okay. 
This question is for Wade. Wade, each year, how many... This is the word, the wording is... Well, so it's called this. person miles, but I don't how, like it. how many miles have people each traveled? Each year, how many miles are traveled by people on the interstate highway system? This is multiple choice as well. A, 500 billion. B, 1 trillion. Or C, a gazillion. Really? I mean, really? I think I'll go with A. A, 500 billion? No. Each year, one trillion miles are traveled by people oh, no, we need to check that. on the interstate. It was on the internet. Hey, we don't fact check. We Facebook check, we okay? Facebook and check. I got it it's off of Facebook. Be, so my my grandma true. said that on Facebook, true. so surely that's correct. Right? All right. The United States government estimated that the interstate highway system would cost $41 billion to construct back then. All right. Trivia question number four. Aaron Newberry. What is the estimated total construction cost of our interstate highway system through 1995? <laughs> through 95. That's a little bit of a wrinkle. A, $329 billion. B, $714 billion. Or C, a gazillion dollars. Really? B. Yes. Oh, no, $329 billion. Are you guys even in the right-of-way industry? <laughs> Don't you guys all know these facts? Everybody knows this. Gosh, Aaron. Oh, gosh. Well, hey, let's talk about impacts on the economy because of this, shall we? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do some rapid-fire stats here, okay? Number one, by increasing speed and expanding access, freight costs have been reduced substantially. Tractor-trailer operating costs have been estimated at 17% lower on interstate highways than other highways. And the interstate highway system made less expensive land more accessible to the nation's transportation system and encouraged development in more remote areas. And the travel time for liability of shipment by interstate highway was, has made just-in-time delivery more feasible, which reduces warehouse costs and adds to manufacturing efficiency. And by broadening geographical range and options of shoppers, the interstate highway system has increased retail competition, resulting in larger selections and lower consumer prices. And by improving interregional access, the interstate highway system has helped create a generally national domestic market with companies able to supply their products to much larger geographical areas and less expensively. And here's something really cool. As a result of all this, the interstate highway system has more than paid for itself in improving commercial productivity. It's been estimated that each dollar of investment in our interstate highways produces an annual reduction in product cost of 23.4 cents. For the first 40 years after enacting the Interstate Act, it is estimated that gross producer cost reductions have exceeded $1 trillion, more than three times the gross original investment in the interstate highway system. And it's also resulted in a creation and generation of jobs, providing thousands of construction and related jobs, both of the original development as well as the maintenance, the refurbishment, and expansion. And consider this. Here's something fascinating about interstates that I don't really think about, but I'm going to bring it to home with a close-to-home example. Bring it home with a close... What was that? Allow myself to introduce myself. Okay. I'm going to bring it home with a real-world example. Um, what, what I find fascinating is the interplay between the location of an interstate, where they choose to run it, and where they put the exits. Okay? 
And an example of that is in Wade Brown's hometown of Suffolk, Virginia, which happens to also be my hometown, small world, right? They constructed Interstate I-664 about 25 years ago. And the purpose of that interstate was to connect, give another connector between Southside Hampton Roads through the water, it was a tunnel project as well, to what's called the peninsula in southeastern Virginia. All right? And it wasn't a really long interstate, but it was significant. And what's even more significant is the placement of a single exit in Suffolk, Virginia, spurred what's called Harbor View, which wasn't there when you were growing up, Wade. Correct. And is now a development of hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of retail, commercial, and office space just by the placement of an exit. One little exit. Made somebody a gazillionaire with all that farmland. Now, the United States is a leader in infrastructure transportation. It leads the world in superhighways and even adjusted for geographic size and population, the U.S. has a far more extensive network of superhighways and interstates than other developed nations. Yeah, in fact, two and a half times more than the former West Germany, 2.9 times more than France, 6.5 times more than the United Kingdom, and 9.7 times that of Japan. You know what it's time for? I do. What? Let's do an over-under push. Let's do it. Okay, so for those of you who are new to our podcast, we play a little game called Over-Under Push. And that is where I will give our guests a list of three things, and they will tell me if they are overrated, underrated, or it's just a push, and they're aptly rated. And then it's my duty and my job to then tell you whether or not your opinion is correct. So, Wade and Aaron, if you get one correct, you get one point. If you get two correct, you get two points. Matt, pay attention. If they get three correct, they get four points. So you get bonus for getting them all right. Okay. So we're going to do our over-under pushes now, and we're going to start. We're starting with Wade. Y'all want to start with Aaron? (laughs) All right. Let's start with Aaron. She needs some help here. Let's start with Aaron. Aaron, I believe in you. All right, Aaron, put the spam in your belly now. I believe in you. Let's let the spam can get a little closer to her. Maybe you can smell it. It'll get you excited about this. on behalf of Region 2, please forgive me, because my opinions on this one do matter. Uh, you know what? Negative. Go You're, ahead, Go I ahead think, Kristen. I think your opinions matter, but not right now. My opinions are supreme. Now, but listen, Aaron, I think we're going to agree on this stuff. So in, Aaron is from San Antonio, and that is where the International Conference with IRWA will be held this year. Woo! Woohoo! It's very exciting. In person, we get to see each other. This is going to be amazing. Um, so our over-under push is San Antonio-themed. So I will give you three things having to do with San Antonio, and then you will tell me if they are overrated, underrated, or it's a push. Bring are you it. ready? Bring it, babe. I know Bring she's it. ready. Number one, it, well, I'll, I'll tell you the list, then we'll go through each one individually. Number one, the Alamo. Number two, the Riverwalk. And number three, Margaritas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go to number one, the Alamo. Is the Alamo overrated, underrated, or push? Underrated. Oh. Um, Dave, I don't believe that you get to chime in on this one. Hey, didn't Ozzy um, Osbourne do something with or to the Alamo? Yeah, and then we didn't let him back in our state or in San Antonio for like years. And that would have been your loss. No, that's Ozzy's loss. And I think, can I wish I could mute your mic right now, actually. I can mute yours. He did. He did it. He muted me. Okay, so this is my game. Let me tell you what's up. The Alamo is absolutely underrated. And as a Texan, you could never say overrated or to push. The Alamo is absolutely underrated. 
and we all remember the Alamo. Now, for those of you coming to conference, I will tell you, you're just going to be walking down the street and turn the corner, and there's the Alamo, and it's like, that's it? That's the Alamo? Hence why it's overrated. No, no. Just, it's a physical, <laughs> it's physical uh, presence. appearance and presence is maybe slightly underwhelming. But it, okay. as a concept, let's, let's the Alamo is underrated. Let's move along. Okay. The Riverwalk. Do I get to say more than my... You can say whatever you want. It is absolutely underrated because it is more than what you see, as in when we're at the hotel, you see the downtown center. Expand your horizons, everybody. Take a left, take a right, go to the museum reach, go to the mission reach. It is absolutely underrated. We have eight miles of hike and bike, natural eco trails. It's under, I cannot say enough about how underrated it is. And have you ever seen it during the holidays, all lit up? Oh. Gorgeous, except uh, when the squirrels eat the Christmas lights. Well, you know what? Okay. We can deal with well, that. The conference isn't during the holidays. What's the third one? But lights will be up. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that you're correct on the Riverwalk. Uh, all right. Number three all is right. margaritas. Have you met me? I have. <laughs> I've probably had a margarita with you or two. They're absolutely underrated. Absolutely. Because there's more than just a margarita. Right. There's different flavors. There's different toppings. I mean, you can put salt, sugar, or tahine oh. on your margarita. Guys, I got to tell you, this is a very special occasion. Aaron has gone three for three. All you right. You are correct. All right, Aaron Matt, Newberry. Laura, give her four please points. Please give four points to Aaron Newberry with Region 2. All right. All right. Before we move on, we have something to do right now. We do have something to do. So if you've listened to our program, you may know that uh, our listeners are called Infrastructure Junkies, and we have what's called the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. It's a very uh, prestigious, so prestigious that you have to pronounce it prestigious. It is prestigious. It is a prestigious group called the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fames. Today, right now, there are five members of the Infrastructure Hall of Fame, Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. I see one of them, Dalton Van in the audience. Is anybody else here an Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Famer? Well, there's about to be another one. Well, there's about to be another one because today we are inducting a new member into the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame whose name is in this envelope. This has been um, calculated by Bryce Waterhouse Cooper and it was brought in a locked briefcase to this room. And now, Aaron Newberry, would you do us the honor of opening this and announcing our newest inductee into the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame? And the winner is... Stand up, Patrick McAllister. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Patrick McAllister. Hey, there is a there are there are prizes for you, and in fact, there is a process for claiming your prizes. So, if you will stick around afterwards, I do have a little prize pack for you. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, and thank you for your support of our show. Thank you, Patrick. All right, I think it's time for Mr. Brown's over under push. What say ye? I'm ready. The question is, Wade, are you ready? Always. All right, since we are in New Orleans, this is a NOLA-themed edition of Over Under Push. Again, I'm going to give you three items. You will say overrated, underrated, or it's a push, and then I will judge you. Okay? It's going to be fun. All right, since we are in New Orleans, number one, Cafe Du Monde. Number two, Bourbon Street, where we sit at this moment. And number three, jazz music. Are you ready? Oh, man. 
Come on, Wade, you got this. Let's go. Number one, I mean, Cafe on. DuMond. I got to say, softballs to Aaron. I mean, it is a little biased. Where's my Virginia connection over here? Uh, what hey, is yeah, happening? I'm, bro, I'm not hey, helping you Margarita's underrated or overrated? <laughs> oh, God, I mean, You're, come listen, on. Wait, re- let me remind uh, Wade, you that you I'm in charge of your points. Either. I'm in charge of this here. Let's, uh, come on. All right. <laughs> Good luck. Cafe DuMond. I'm going to push. I figured you'd do that. No, Cafe Dumont is overrated. We have that back in Virginia. It's called Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, both of oh. both of you are wrong. Both of you are wrong. That is not a Dunkin' Donut. That is a fluffy pillow of heavenly pastry with a dusting of. It's called sugar and coffee. And it's chicory. No, listen. This is my game. Okay. And in fact, wait. I'm so sorry, but you're 0 for three because Cafe Dumont is in fact. Even though it's very well thought of, it is in fact underrated, especially if you do what my cousin does and you go in the back door and you don't wait in line and you cut the line. So. Okay. How can you be wrong on a push? I didn't say good or bad. She, she thinks she's just, the boss of everybody. Well, I am the boss of over under push. Can I have this one thing, please? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Wait, number two, Bourbon Street. I'm going to say underrated. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Listen, Wade. You're not doing so hot. <laughs> um, Bourbon Street Everything is in fact. Everything you want right there. I mean, you can never overrate There's literally that nothing place. I want on Bourbon Street, except maybe a cocktail. But, okay, uh, listen, New Orleans, if it were just like the city of New Orleans, I would say, yeah, you're right. But Bourbon Street, no. you got to get away from Bourbon Street. And I'm sorry, you're, says you're over. You? Oh, says, I know, this is my game. All right, look. Wait, let me remind you what's on the line. This is a full can, a full-size can of Spam. Yes, yeah, set up for Aaron. <laughs> oh, wait, I just want to win. Hey, I don't I'm want from San spam. Antonio. What do you think about San Antonio? Aaron? Okay, all right, wait. Let's see if you can, if there's redemption for you. What about jazz music? Oh my God, overrated. Oh my gosh! <coughs> oh, just play the right notes. Jazz. The audience is there. I mean, the audience is up in arms right now. I, this is this jazz. Is, jazz is truly an American treasure. I'm sorry, Wade. Oh. I'm so sorry. Maybe we'll agree on some things sax, later. It's a saxophone on the street corner. I mean, come on. Oh, oh no. Wade, Wade, your vice chair needs to, to write something. Oh, he, his Matt, hand help is me out Matt, here, Matt, take a point away. Just take a point away. <laughs> not only did you not get points, that's a minus one. Just 0 for 3. I'm sorry, Wade. This is not going well for All right, you. so back to our show. We're, okay, Wade, we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the American highway system's uh, impacts on safety. Now, this runs completely contrary to what I would think. And number one, the fatality rate of the interstate highways is nearly 60% lower than for the rest of the system. We're safer on the highways than like on the streets? We are safer on the interstates than driving our regular streets. Number two, the injury rate for interstate highways is more than 70% lower than that of the rest of the system. Hey, Dave, did you know that like 79% of statistics are made up on the spot? Well, this one isn't, because I got this off of Facebook. Okay, okay. And then number three, in one year alone, use of the interstates is estimated to have reduced traffic accidents by 400,000. And I don't know how they came up with that or where, but it must be true because it came off the internet. If it's on the internet, guys, you know what they say. Okay, let's talk about uh, the benefits to quality of life. According to one study, there are two major benefits of the interstate system to quality of life. First of all, we save a lot of time driving on the interstate, right? We get to go high speeds. 
So I like driving 75 much more than 45, and you get there a lot faster, don't you? Um, also, expanded mobility expands geographical areas, which users can operate due to higher speeds on the interstate highways. And this allows us to do the things we want to do by spending less time traveling, and it gives us more options, options as far as where we want to go, where we want to live, where we want to work, where we want to dine, and vacation, and all the things. Anything that we want to do, we have much more options because of the fact that we have the interstate system. Additionally, there's a wider variety of employment options and a wider variety of residential options. The interstate system has given rise to the creation of the bedroom communities where, you know, especially now, we can live in one, one place and work uh, and commute to another city or another state. And there are other benefits you really don't even think of. For, in, for instance, because of the interstate system, retail prices have been lowered. People can travel further to shop, creating competition among retail establishments. Now, in our post-COVID world, this may not have, as, have been as pronounced, but back in the day, the interstate system created the first Amazon effect, where accessibility to different options drove down retail prices. They had more options by simply being willing to travel further. Also, consider improved access to health care, and this hits very close, closely home to me, where uh, my mother has a chronic lung condition. She lives in southeastern Virginia, but because of the interstate system, she's able to travel to Duke University, which is a world-class health, world-class university for her treatment. That would not be possible but for interstates. And then consider... Do you remember these things, like they're back, they kind of feel like I'm talking about the Flintstones, but do you remember vacations? What's that? Yeah, we haven't had those in a while, have we? But vacations, the interstate system allows us to get to more places faster and gives us a wider array of options for places to visit. Hey, so this is called planes, trains, and automobiles. We've been talking about automobiles. Can we talk about trains? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so let's talk about freight rail. I'm going to give you a little overview. Here's some stats for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. There are over 140,000 route miles in U.S. freight rails in America, and it's considered the largest, safest, and most cost-effective freight system in the world. The freight rail industry is about $80 billion and is operated by seven Class One railroads. There are 22 regional and 584 local or short-line railroads. It provides more than 167 jobs. I actually thought that number seemed a little low, but... That is from the internet again. Oh, uh, yeah. That, right. that might be a typo. I know. It seems like it's got to be I think it might be a 160 gazillion jobs. I think it's gazillion. Yeah. Let's, we'll, we'll fact check that later. Um, it, it provides ancillary, ancillary benefits, including reduction in road congestion, highway fatalities, fuel consumption, greenhouse gases, and public infrastructure maintenance cost. Unlike roadways, U.S. freight railroads are owned by private organizations, and they are responsible for their own maintenance and improvements. So let's do another trivia. Let's give our man Wade the chance to catch up, even if only a little bit. You can do it, Wade. I All believe right, in you. Wade. Sort of. Trivia question number one regarding railroads. The father of the American railroad system is A, John Stevens, B, Stephen Johns, or C, Cat Stevens. <laughs> what? I'll go with A. John Stevens it is. The concept of constructing a railroad in the United States was first conceived by John Stevens. Congratulations, Wade. You get a point. You, can give you him got that, that Matt? Fine. Give him a point. Give, give him a point. point. Just right. one, though. All right, Aaron. Are you ready to continue on your route to victory? I'm ready. All right. Here's your trivia question. Bring it. Colonel John Stevens, not Cat Stevens, 
Colonel John Stevens conceived of the American Railroad in what year? A, 1782, B, 1812, or C, 1888? B, 1812. Yes! Give her some applause or something. There you go. There we go. There we go, Aaron. Now, here's what's interesting. The first chartered rail line was in Massachusetts. It ran approximately three whole miles, and it was finished in 1826. Now, remember this date, because this is kind of interesting. Just three miles? Just three miles, 1826. Okay. The first passenger and freight was the B&O, remember playing Monopoly? Baltimore and Ohio Railroad completed in 1827, one year later. But consider that between 1826 and 1850, 9,000 miles of rail track had been laid. Okay? That's basically 24 years. Now, by the turn of the century, fast forward 50 more years, nearly 225,000 miles of rail line in the United States had been laid. That's a lot of infrastructure that was constructed very, very quickly. So we went from three miles to 225,000 miles in what, 75 years? Yeah, in 74 years. That's incredible. Wow, that is incredible. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Transcontinental Railroad, okay? In 1862, Congress passed the Pacific Railroad Act, which authorized the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad. Within 30 years, four additional transcontinental railroads connected the eastern states to the west coast. Much of the property on which the transcontinental railroads were constructed came through the federal government through land grants, so they didn't need to use condemnation or eminent domain, and frankly, they didn't even need to purchase the property half the time, which drove down costs. The first transcontinental railroad was constructed by one crew working from east, the other crew working from the west, and they were to meet in the middle. So it's like game on. Game on. If we had Aaron and Wade doing that, it would have been like a battle. And I wonder if they were playing for a can of Spam to build that sucker. There was probably a can of of Spam at the finish line. Okay, let's do do the next trivia question. Matt, Laura, you ready? You ready to write down the point or not? Wade, I, I think you got this one. In what year did the crews working on the Transcontinental Railroad meet? A, 1776, B, 1876, or C, 1869? Take your time. Mm. I can hear it. The wheels are spinning. Attention. See? T- yes, sir. Yeah, you got All it. All right, Wade, you are making quite a comeback, I got to say. Now, Aaron, Aaron, can you hold him off? Can you hold him off? Are you ready? I don't know. I feel kind of sad now. This, the, for those of you listening at home, the can of spam has made its way down to Wade's end of the table at this point. Aaron. Gratefully so. In what state did the two segments of the first transcontinental railroad meet together? A, Missouri, B, Nebraska, C, Utah. Not Hawaii? Well, it could have been been Florida, (laughs) Hawaii, Maine, Washington State, but probably wasn't. After 10 years being stationed in Wyoming, I know it's Utah. It was Utah. Great job. She's on a roll, folks. She is on a roll. She's on a roll. All right, all right. Way to go. Softballs. (laughs) Also something Uh I'd like to discuss. (laughs) Right? Okay, let's talk about some of the effects of this transcontinental railroad. The completion of this railroad had massive and immediate effects. Before there was a transcontinental railroad, This is crazy. It cost nearly $1,000 to travel across the country. After the railroad was completed, the price dropped to 150 bucks. So like the interstate system, this made our land more accessible and travel much more affordable. But this is the big one. 
the travel time for making a cross-country journey was cut from months to like a few days. So, you know, it's not like pack up your wagon and we're going to like go across the United States and hope we don't die of dysentery and get attacked or something to hop on a train. You're there in a few days. Yeah, and the, and the construction of that transcontinental railroad probably had the single greatest effect on westward expansion and development. Now, I totally stole this from an article from the History Channel, but according to the History Channel, here are 10 other ways the transcontinental railroad changed America. Number one, it made the western United States more important. Now, I am a lifelong East Coast guy, and this is where I would insert a joke, but I am a stranger in a strange land down here, and I will just keep my mouth shut. That's probably for the best. All right. It also made commerce possible on a much grander scale throughout the entire nation. It also made travel more affordable, as we mentioned. It changed where Americans live. Uh, it, it altered American concept of reality, just as automobile travel did, and then down the line, space travel did. It sparked the first mail-order catalog business. You don't think about that. You really don't. You really don't. It devastated the environment. Not all of it was positive. There were no environmental regulations. They did whatever the heck they wanted back then. And also, kind of on the negative side, it increased racial conflicts with Native Americans and with some of the immigrants uh, who came over here to help construct those lines. But it also pioneered government, financed capitalism, and it instilled national confidence. So there you go. There's 10 benefits. Hey, wait. What's that? What's that sound? Uh-oh. That music means that it's time for cross-examination with Dave. So for those of you who don't know, Dave is going to ask our guests five rapid-fire questions which must be answered in one sentence or less unless we change our minds as we go. So, Wade, Aaron, are you ready for cross-examination with Dave? No. Play that music again. Wade Brown, you ready? Let's go. All right, here we go. Number one, what do a breakdance club and a mullet have in common? The ultimate in coolness. Close. The answer is you. Number two. Do we have photos of that? <laughs> I'm sure oh, they wait, exist I, somewhere. I, I hate to interrupt, but I do want to tell you, this will be judged by audience applause, hooping and hollering. If you guys, it's a pass-fail. Like, if he, if, when he's done, if you guys give him the thumbs up and we hoop and holler for him, he will get five points. If oh, you don't, God. he will get zero. So just... It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Sorry, Wade. Terry. Wade. <laughs> What is the sexiest ride, Trans Am, Firebird, or Camaro? Firebird. Wade, Wade. Not that I owned one or anything. Wade. I doubt that. Wade. A rat tail. Did you? Would you? Never. Sure. I bet there's pictures to disprove that, too. A lot of difference between a mullet and a rat tail. Okay, Wade. Not really really so much. It kind of, okay. Wade, what was your first musical love? Guns N' Roses, Metallica, or Vanilla Ice? And you can't say Guns N' Roses or Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> you have to I say it. I can't, I can't say Vanilla Ice. That was after, you know, the, the breakdance period. I, I heard Vanilla Ice. What did you guys hear? <laughs> I can't believe you would say that. Ice. That's awful. Vanilla ice, Ice, ice baby. Wade? What? Really? He's hot. <laughs> Oh, for crying he, like, out loud. He renovates houses now. He kind of is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, Wade, last question. 
Have you ever spun around on a piece of cardboard to a Billy Squire song? And be honest. No, I haven't. There's a first time for everything, guys. I think it could happen tonight. I'm not sure. All right. I, I'm going to give you one redemption question that's worth like 50 points. Okay. What is the greatest collegiate athletic program in the entire land? I believe, Dave, you're referring to the Wahoos of the University of Virginia. The Virginia Cavaliers, absolutely. False. Okay, all right, all right, guys. There's not all enough right. applause on that. Let's hear it. All right, so remember, this is, a, this is an all-or-nothing thing, and it's up to you guys. Are we giving Wade five points Are we giving him five points? Let's hear it. Come on, yeah. All right, all right. all right. Give him five points, Matt. Laura, five points to Region 6. Okay. Uh, no, we hey, have. Wait, before we move on to Aaron's cross examination with Dave. Oh, thank God. Guess what I have in my hand? Another Price Waterhouse Cooper envelope, which has the name of our next Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame inductee. Are you guys on the edge of your seats? Wait, would you do us the honor of announcing our next inductee? I'm so nervous. Ah, uh, yes, Region 6 guy, Anthony Alderman. Anthony All Alderman, right. welcome to the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. That was interesting. <laughs> and Dave played some random music for that. That's fine. All right, all right. Um, hey, wait, wait, wait. We need the music if we're going to do this again. Cross-examination with Dave. <laughs> Go. All right. Aaron, you ready? No, but we're going to do this anyways. All right. Kristen tells me that you guys play a game called Nerds. Is this some sort of Texas thing? And what the hell? Yes, and why the hell not? All right, pretty good answer. Aaron, how much do you love spam, and can you express that in a haiku? Why, Dave, I can express it in two haikus. Oh, boy. Yes. Spam, a little blue can, Monty Python, eggs, bacon, sausage, and spam. Still not edible, spam. <laughs> you were killing it until that last line. Five, seven, five. Okay, she's got another chance, though. There's another spam uh, haiku for us. Coffee in hand. Open my email. 100,000 received just overnight. Call IT. My account is locked. Oh, spam. Like in your Oh, email. that yeah. kind of you spam. Know what? That, she got I creative got, on got that it. one. I, I like it. it. Oh. Hey, Aaron, here's your next question. You oh, ready? God, no. You know what we have in common? Yes, Dave, I do. You and I both have little South Carolina Gamecocks in the family. Yes, we do. <laughs> now, Aaron, 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 what is the abbreviated name of this mascot, and are you comfortable wearing it on a T-shirt? Oh, boy. So, Dave, officially, the abbreviated name of the mascot is Cocky. He is a Gamecock. Uh-huh. But that's not what's on the T-shirt now, is it? <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. For those of you listening at home, we do have a visual aid. Oh, boy. You do have your headphones on. No sentence on. required. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Can y'all see that? For those listeners at home, use your imagination. We do have a South Carolina shirt with the abbreviated name, and it's Beep. charming. It's charming. Okay. All right, all right. You're doing it. I have pretty, more than one. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going we're there. We're going to leave that oh, alone. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Last question, Aaron. Look at that one, Aaron. Good gosh. I meant a T-shirt. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. We know, we know. Do y'all think she meant the T-shirt? 
Yes. Crap. <laughs> Aaron, this yes. is being recorded, and I, I have no editing capability. It's going in. Aaron, <laughs> David Lee Roth, hot or not? Oh, so hot. 1984, 1985. Is he even alive now? Yes, but Eddie Van Halen isn't, unfortunately. That, oh, that made oh, me cry. So David Hot. Okay. All right. All right. Is that it? Yeah. All right, guys. What do we think? Did she did she get the five points? Oh, All right. Oh. I think she Thunderous got it. applause. Now, hold on. Thunderous applause. I, I didn't get a 50-point bonus round. Right. Yeah, you're not from Suffolk, Virginia, either. Those 50 points also don't count, okay? There are T-shirts being thrown on stage. I'm a little scared. Hey, so listen, we're we're running short on time, but this was supposed to be called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We haven't really talked about planes, so we're going to give you a little brief rundown about planes, okay? Here's what I learned about planes. This is crazy. They fly. They do. How did you know? I saw it on Facebook. Okay, that, that explains a lot. So planes, here's some interesting facts about planes, in particular airports. Do you know that all public airports are owned and operated by state or local governments? Mm-hmm. Or uh, authorities having governmental powers? Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. And have you heard of the Av- Aviation Trust Fund? I didn't know this, and I, try, I, like, I wanna do airport work. I like airport work. There's something called the Aviation Trust Fund, okay? And that's proceeds of federal taxes on tickets, and fuels, and they've built this multi-billion dollar fund that Congress uses with FAA advice, and they budget for airport planning, development, and improvement through a program of grants. I did not know this. So there's also the Airport Improvement Program, and they use those funds in the Airport Improvement Program to acquire land, uh, aviation easements for noise abatement, and to soundproof existing buildings. And the federal funds may cover up to 95% of these project costs. And with this, I think we need a little tri- a little more trivia. Yeah, let's do some airport trivia. Should I do this for Aaron or Wade? Do that one for Aaron. Okay, Aaron. Aaron, <clears throat> good luck with this one. Oh, thanks, Dave. How many public airports are there in the United States? This isn't multiple choice. Like, tell me. No. Okay, it's multiple, multiple choice. choice. All, right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, gosh. A, 514, B, 5,145, or C, 1,245. Anybody got any ideas Do I get here? to phone a friend? You can phone a friend. You can phone a friend. Yeah, absolutely. We're changing the rules. Do you have friends? any Do you have any friends? Uh, guys, region how, two, how Come many on. public airports are there in the United States? A, 514, B, 5,145, or C, 1,245? You're on your own, Newberry. Well, I heard Marcus Boyd say C. You should never listen to Marcus Boyd. <laughs> Did he say B? Okay, you should listen to Marcus Boyd. It is, in fact, B, 5,145. Go. Good job, Aaron. Way to go, Aaron. Way to go, Marcus Boyd. And what, mute, mute Wade's mic, please. Mute Wade's mic. Up. Are you really? Softball questions no. and look at, oh. No, do, we, do we really want to talk about softball? All right. Okay. Well, okay. Give, All right, give Wade, Wade one. Here you go, Wade. This is fascinating to me. How many people are in the air at any given moment across the world? Okay? How many people are in the air at any given moment? And here are your choices. A... 5,000, B, 50,000, or C, 500,000? Yeah, pre or post-COVID. Yeah, yeah. Let's go pre-COVID, because I don't know. I'm going to say C. Wade, you are correct. Congratulations. Good One job, Jenny Weiner. 
<laughs> so, but the, half a million people, like right now, are up in the air somewhere. Does that blow your mind? As I like to say, it's mind bottling. Mind bot. So, our official tally, people. Matt, Laura, who wins? I think it's a tie. Oh, wait a minute. What's the score? That's what we're asking. They're doing math right now, guys. Gunter's doing math in her head. This is frightening. Okay, first of all. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, wait. Wait a minute. Laura, Laura, can you please come up here and read that those to us? Wait, what was the numbers again? She said Wade has 59 and Aaron has how many? I believe it was 31,000. 31,000. No, she can't have 31,000. Why not? Matt, what do you say? Dave. They don't know how to do math in Texas, Matt. I fighting words. Get your calculators out, guys. Oh. Matt. You know what I think Matt. this is? Wait a minute. Can I clarify like one of the cross-examinations and get some points here? All right, go ahead. I mean, you, you put Billy Squire to, to breakdance, and I mean, that's... Okay, just, what's going to happen now is you're, you're muted. You're muted. Yep. Okay, so he's gone. What were you saying, Matt? Why don't we just open the can of spam and we'll cut it in half and each of them can oh. have a hunk of meat? No, this Wade is Do you want to watch that? Well, no, Wade can, wins. Then he, Wade then, wins. Then, then Aaron gets it. Wade wins. Wade wins. Okay, oh, look at the right. sportsmanship. Okay, well, I, I think we're about out of time. I know that was time. just a king solid uh, Thank you for joining us here on the Pendulum Land Podcast. It's been a blasty blast. Hi, this is Wade Brown of American Acquisition Group, and I survived. Cross-examination by Dave on the Pendulum Land Podcast. <laughs> Hey, y'all, this is Aaron Newberry with HDR. Go Gamecocks. I successfully survived the Pendulum Land podcast and cross-examination with Dave. Hey, Sarah, thank you for inviting us to be part of the symposium. We really had a great time. Hey, we had to. Like, we didn't have any other choice. What? I know. You... What? Well, yeah, we didn't have anybody else. Sorry. Oh, okay. Hey, Tim, thanks for, hey, thanks for being there during our first live podcast ever. Absolutely. What'd you think? I thought it went really well. A little heavy on the spam references, but all in all, really well. You, you don't eat spam? I do eat spam. I just don't need everyone to know I eat spam. Hey, Nick Chop, you're here at the Transportation Symposium. Yes. You're friends with Wade Brown, right? I am. How, what do you, how do you think he did on the podcast today? What? Yeah, how do you think he did on the Pendulum Land podcast? I, did, I don't know about that. Didn't go. What? Mark Anderson, how are you? I am doing fine, thank you very much. Good. Hey, were you at our podcast session today? Uh, yes, I was, and What'd it was fantastic. Oh, you liked it? Yeah, it was very informative, and I love the history. Oh, thanks, Mark. I'm glad you were there. Absolutely. What's up, Dalton? Howdy, folks. Hey, did you did you come to our session? Did you listen to that podcast today? Mm, what podcast? The, the, the Pendulum Land podcast. We did a session today. You, you guys have a podcast? Dalton, you're in the IJ Hall of Fame. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no. That, that that was there today. That, you are? Yeah, pretty sure I was there. Okay. Uh, thanks. Good to see you, buddy. 
So, Dalton, I understand you're a big Billy Squire fan? Um, you know, I wouldn't exactly say that, no, sir. That you're not a big Billy Squire or fan? <laughs> in his name pronounced Squires, is that right? Yeah. It's a squirrel. It's, it's Billy, Billy Squirrel. squirrel. Yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah, you know you know what, guys? No. What? You're, dis- you're disrespecting an icon. No, no. Well, uh, isn't he a land agent now? Oh, that- oh. No? Okay, yeah. Okay. Marcus Floyd, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Kristen Bennett? It's good. Hey, did you come to our podcast session uh, today? Uh, unfortunately, yes, I did. Unfortunately? Uh, yes, I have two huge issues. One, the oh, facts boy. were all over the place. You said 167-something, and your facts were just bad. And okay. then two, I grew up on potted meat and Vienna sausage, and you talking about Span was kind of insulting. You don't like Span? No, potted meat and Vienna sausage with crackers. Layton, what's up, my friend? Hey, hey. Hey, did you come to our session? Did you I, like the podcast? I did. I did. It was great. Infrastructure junkie for life over here. We got an infrastructure junkie for life. Thank you for coming, Layton. Hey, can't wait for the next one. Yeah. Hey, Patrick Ryan, what's up? Hey, what's going on, Kristen? Hey, were you, did you come to our session? Did you see that podcast recording? Uh, you know, I, I saw about 30 seconds. What? And then I found out they were showing Toy on cable, and I walked out to go see that. Are you serious? Oh, we're friends. Yeah, it was, we're friends. It was horrible, Kristen. It's horrible. <laughs> it's fucking horrible. Dorian Himes, what's up? Not much. Hey, did Just, you come to our podcast today? I did. I did. I didn't hear a lot of what you said because I was so focused on the spam. Are you a spam fan? Oh my gosh, I love spam. I grew up on spam. Me too. I'm, I'm still growing up on spam. I'm moving to Hawaii so I can eat spam all the time. I'll go with you. <laughs> Kevin Angel, what's up, my friend? Oh, not much. Just hanging out here. You having fun in New Orleans? Oh, having a good time. Hey, did you come to the podcast thing today? Oh, I did. It was awesome. Did yeah. you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was great. Did it make you hungry for spam? Not hungry for spam, though. <laughs> Are you ever? Never hungry for spam. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Craig Hodge? How you doing? I'm well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, Craig. Hey, did you happen to catch our podcast today? I caught the whole thing. I was lucky enough to be in the room when it went down, yes. What did you think? Did you like it? Uh, I did. I found it really enjoyable. Um, I thought the content was good from the guests. I thought the hosts might need a little material, maybe some preparation, I don't know. But uh, all in all, I, th- I thought it was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun. You thought we were ill-prepared? Um, I th- it sounded a bit scripted, yeah. kind of canned. But um, I think, you know, I think with a little work, you guys might have something here. You think so? Yeah. Kristen, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> it's Craig Hodge, dude. Just buckle up. See you on Bourbon Street, suckers!